0: Is your organisation truly innovative, or are there obsolete ways of working that are holding you and your team back? I'm Hamish Coots, and you're listening to Talent Talks, brought to you by SEEK. Don Price is the Head of Research and Development at Atlassian, which is consistently recognised as one of the world's most innovative companies. He joined me at the desk at the ARA Convention in Brisbane to talk about collaboration, culture, and how to ensure businesses get out of their own way when it comes to innovation. So let's start a fairly broad question. But when you talk about the future of work, when you're thinking about it, what comes to mind and what does it mean to you? A couple of things come to mind. One is um, our bizarre obsession with technology.
1: I, I think yep. we've massively over-indexed on technology. And that comes out in the fact that I believe a fool with a tool is still a fool. Yeah. You've just made them faster. Yeah. And, and I see the world over, people releasing technology and going, nothing changed. And you're like, yeah, it's, it's humans, it's behaviors, it's practices, it's place all these things come to fruition and so when i think about the future of work it's around how do we understand people behaviors motivations and the change we're trying to drive yeah. and when you understand that you get to a really good place the other thing is then understanding what's in our way yeah what, okay. what are the things either through experience or history or tenure that are going to stop us from achieving that and how can we how can we change those things
0: what are some of the obsolete ways of working you're seeing, and I, and I guess at Atlassian, mm. that you've made sure that you're not operating under anymore? I mean, nine to five, Monday to Friday. Yeah.
1: Right? I mean, that, that construct exists from a time of manufacturing where you clocked in and clocked out. Yeah. Right? And, and nine to five, Monday to Friday, in a world where I could turn on my laptop at any time and do my work, doesn't need to exist. And, and, and this is the irony, right? As an organization, you can say things like, we believe in flexibility. Mm. We want people to do the best work of their life. You can say all these things. I want you to be flexible yep. between nine to five Monday to Friday, heavy. You're like, well, hang on. If you want diversity and flexibility, then what about working mums or working dads? Or what about people with disabilities? All these people that could access your workforce if you are more flexible. Yes. And, it, and so we're like flexibility if, or flexibility books. Like, no, no, no. Flexibility, full stop. Yeah. And so how do we challenge nine to five? I don't work nine to five Monday to Friday. And because I'm not measured on hours, yeah. right? And I imagine most people, certainly white collar workers and knowledge workers, aren't actually really recording
0: hours, and they're not rewarded on hours, but the whole system around them is hours. How can organizations then start to to make these changes and start to and if, if we talk about flexibility mm. um, how can they start to bring in perhaps a flexible working arrangements where traditionally they haven't had it even they've had a bit of a fear of it perhaps? Yeah let's just sort of cut things off at the
1: pass and talk about the bad things because yep. that's more fun right, right. the the anti patterns which is we should be flexible because everyone else is mm. terrible idea Yeah um, or we should be flexible so i'm going to google flexibility best practices find the way Netflix or Google do it and mm. I'll copy that. You're like, again, awful. Way too many organizations and leaders I work with don't ask the question, why do we want this? And what's the outcome? Because flexibility will feel like a tax. Yeah. Just like collaboration feels like a tax, right? It's actually an investment, but you need to know why you're doing it and what outcome you're gonna measure. If, if flexibility gives you access to a broader workforce of different ideas, more curiosity, more creativity, that's the thing you should measure, but actually what we tend to measure is the traditional measures of success, Yeah. right? How many things did you deliver and not how great were our ideas?
0: Like what you hear? Tune into more Talent Talks by hitting the subscribe or follow button in your favourite podcast app. Just search Seek Talent Talks. Um, you do a lot of work at, at, at Atlassian in teams, mm. large clusters of teams. Yeah. How do you keep those teams working in close uh, collaboration with each other when they're remotely located? I mean, that's all, all of our teams
1: are distributed. Yep. I mean, we've got 12 locations around the world. Yep. A couple of things. One is we share information in advance. No two teams are be e- built equally, and no dependency is the same. Now, there may be some teams, let's say me and you are working in different teams, where I'm like, you know what, Hamish, the thing you're working on is critical to my path. That's a real dependency. Yep. We're going to agree a communication channel and a, and a model of how we stay up to date on each of this stuff. And there's a team over there that Andrea's running, And I'm curious about what Andrew's doing, but it won't change what I do. And that I'm gonna watch and observe and be aware of, but I'm not gonna interrupt her to find out about. And that reality is that no two teams and no two missions are built equally is real. The way most organizations treat it is, every dependency is the same. So what we say is if you're highly dependent on each other, agree communication channel how are you going to engage mm. should you actually form wanting this is going I'm just going to consume the thing you build and I'll consume it as and when it's ready yeah and so understanding the reality of your environment your dependency the nuances the context of your work I
0: think is more important than ever in those distributed teams is it that fluid and you use the example of you and I working together so let's agree on a communication plan yeah. or let's form the one team is that what you are doing at lesson is, is it that fluid we don't require blank bits of paper Right, so what we, we've created a thing called the
1: team playbook, which is our way of working. Yep. That team playbook is at best 80% baked for what you might want to do in your team or I might want to do. It relies on you saying, I know my environment better, so you will add your final 20% to make it work for you, and your version will be different than mine. Mm. And that's okay, because I don't want you to comply with a way of working. Right, I might as well just employ an idiot if I want compliance. Yeah. <laughs> I've hired you because you're smart, so I want you to tailor that to work, your environment, your people, and the problem you're solving. And you're solving a different problem to me. So you should nuance that, you should do it differently. And so those environmental factors mean that we are similar in our ways of working, but where we are different, it's on purpose.
0: You touched on the the, the playbook, the mm. team playbook. I'm interested. What led you to sharing that externally? Yeah. That, that's not something you see terribly, terribly often. No, it's not. Um, it was entirely selfish to
1: start with. We, we had run the playbook probably for two and a half, three years internally mm. and given us great success in scaling Atlassian across the globe. Wonderful. Um, it, it probably got me a bonus and a pat on the back somewhere along the line. Yeah. I used to have a presentation called The Secret Source of Atlassian. Um, and I literally was sat there with one of our CEOs, uh, Mike Cannon-Brooks, one day chatting away. And he's like, Dom, secret source. I was like, yeah. He said, why not just call it the source? I was like, well, and he's like, open source it, share it. Like, wh- why are you hoarding it? What are you, you hoarding? I'm like, I, I have no really yeah. good reason. And, and actually, what I realized afterwards was I had 13 years of working in other environments where sharing was a bad thing yeah, because it was peacocking, or it was alienating, or it was arrogant, or your boss should do the sharing. There was always a, a reason, valid or not, for not sharing. And suddenly, here I am in an environment where Mike said to me, share and wonderful things will happen. Mm. Um, And I genuinely think it's why he gets paid the big bucks. But essentially what happened when we shared it was the product has got better. And that was the thing, and I didn't realize that at the time, it was only afterwards where I was like, wow, the minute you put it out there, it's not just about being selfless to share it, it's still selfish. Us sharing the playbook is entirely selfish because the world is gonna make that playbook better by using it and give us feedback than we ever would by ourselves. And you still got to execute. Still got to deliver on it. Yeah, yeah.
0: It, It's not the be-all and end-all. No.
1: Yet. What a lot of people don't realise, we retired our internal version when we published that. Right, okay. Because we decided to be authentic, it would be ironic for us to share a playbook of how to work and we had a different one. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. And the market would be deeply suspicious yeah. of that, I would yeah. have thought. So, yeah.
1: so we retired our internal version. So we've got, uh, last estimate, probably 450 teams across it last year. Okay. Yeah. Um, we're about four, four and a half thousand people. So 450 teams. Those teams in various marketing, finance, legal, HR, product development, you know, engineers, you name it, uh, across the globe, across our 12 locations, will use different components of that playbook at any point in time. We've never rolled it out. We never stipulate certain things that you have to do. It's all self-selection.
0: I would like to touch on the culture, um, Mm -hmm. how you've kept it strong despite this massive and and very fast-paced growth as well. What do you guys do to make sure that your culture stays strong? A Couple of things. One is our values, things like
1: open company, no BS, uh, don't F the customer, play as a team. Um, We hire for our values. So we do a values interview as part of our interview process. Our recognition system internally called Kudos is based on our values. Our annual performance review, a third of your end-of-year score, Hamish, is based on you living the values. Yeah. Not only do they exist, but we live and breathe them every day. Values are different to culture. Our values are, are static. Our culture is massively changing.
0: Yeah.
1: It, it bears no resemblance today that it did yesterday, and it bears no resemblance today that it did six and a half years ago when I joined. Yeah. And, and so we don't have a singular culture. We have many cultures and that is about embracing those customs and norms in different
0: locations and making them valuable. They're actually a force multiplier, not something to get rid of. Having a range of different cultures and then your values, how has that helped you in terms of innovation? Mm. Um, And being able to, you mentioned what, 450 teams, you guys are producing a lot and and quicker. The demands get quicker every time, I imagine. Uh, How's that helping you continue to be innovative and stay ahead? Innovation for us is all about experimentation and exploration. And if you're gonna do that, you have
1: to sign up for the fact that at least half the stuff you do will go wrong, right? And so if if you have this desire for perfection, you kill progress. Like perfection is the biggest killer of innovation in any any organization. Because a lot of senior leaders are like, I wanna be innovative, but what's the ROI and how can you guarantee that it works? And you're like, well, that's not innovation, that's an activity, that's a task list, right? So that's one part. The other part of innovation that's crucial for us is cognitive diversity. And you touched on it by embracing the customs and cultures around the world. Mm. When I share an idea and someone goes, Dom, I like that idea, but have you thought about X? I'm like, I haven't thought about X because I don't come from your world. Yeah. So the question that person gave me, even though it sometimes feels like a challenge or a threat, it makes the idea and me more innovative because I've had to let go of the idea and let it evolve of its own fruition. Yeah. And so innovation is the, the respectful dissent produces sparks yeah. produces friction, yeah. and, and we use that to, to multiply out across our organization. It also causes lots of arguments. You've got to accept and embrace that. Is it sometimes the consensus of all, is, is that slow the oh, process at all? I mean, consensus is a killer. I mean, yeah. pe- people talk about consensus and collaboration often in the same thing. They've been conflated a lot. We talk about, I mean, respectful dissent I've mentioned. One of the ways you see it come to life in at Atlassian um, is in decision making, yeah, okay. which is disagree and commit. Right, there are numerous conversations I'm in on a daily basis where I'm like, Hamish, hey, I love that idea that you just came up with. Um, however, I'm the decision maker on this. We're going to do X. Yeah. Are you in? And your job then is to disagree with me, but commit. Because when we leave that room, you better have my back. We've committed. We've committed. Yeah. What that means is I then have to be open to being wrong. And you can't say, I told you so when I am wrong. Because yeah. 50% of the time I will be. Mm. So your job as a leader is to have a strong radar to listen, to feel. And to go, is this going as as expected? In which case, continue. Or did I get the decision wrong? Let's revisit. Yeah. Right. So if you've not got humility as a leader, you deliver the idea you had regardless. Yeah.
0: Which we've all done. Yeah. And <laughs> and, and, and that's a, a big thing for a leader to take on, isn't it? Mm. And adopt that mindset that you know what well, we are going to debate it, and I may well be wrong.
1: Like I mean, let's acknowledge why it's hard as a leader. One of the reasons I think it's hard is I certainly when I, I mean I joined the workforce in the year two thousand the leaders above me at the time were there because they were always right I'm not in that world anymore no. right? I'm in 2019 now yeah. and I've got leaders above me who are like I'm often wrong and I'm like damn well if you're wrong then what do I do and they're like no no we've hired you for your expertise yeah. and so uh, Scott Farquhar one of our, our other co-founders regularly yeah. says he's like I'm very rarely the most intelligent person in the room yeah. I'm, I'm usually the most senior yeah. very rarely the most intelligent I did remind him of that once in a one on one and he's not spoken to me for a while since but <laughs> But it's true because the reality is it's not about being the smartest. Yeah. It's about asking great questions and collaborating, which is different than consensus, which is just agreeing.
0: What are your predictions for how the workforce is going to change?
1: A couple of things. One, that we have to do really soon is challenge those constructs the nine to five, yeah. Monday to Friday senior person, yeah. all that stuff that doesn't give us a dividend, we've got to challenge. Second of all, we've got to realize that every single person in your organization has a choice. So if you don't get it right, Their feet will do the talking and they will go elsewhere. Like we're in record unemployment right now. The opportunity people have is to move. And so you've got to be prepared to, to be bold as a leader and create an environment where your people can do that. There's one future of work aspect which makes me really nervous, all right, and I don't want to get dark on you, but but let's let's talk honestly, is mental health. Yep, okay. We are going through a time of mass automation. We are removing the simplistic, mundane tasks. We are giving you more complex tasks, and we're dressing it up as meaningful work. Like, Hamish, you're going to love working here because your work is meaningful, which is code for really complex and really hard. Mm -hmm. Now, if we were doing that and you were doing shorter working hours, you might be okay. But if you look at the stats, the average worker in the U.S., Australia, U.K. is working longer hours on more complex work. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to show that those two lines crash. And they crash when we have a mental health epidemic. And, And so not mental health as a positive, because mental health can be positive as well. It's about saying who owns mental health? And how can we prevent it and not cure it? Because we don't want the burning platform of a hold of burnt-out people before we decide that mental health's important.
0: I was going to ask you, the, the, the rise of artificial intelligence and technology and the replacement mm. of some roles and, yeah. and the creation of new ones. Yeah. Is that playing into that mental health stage as,
1: as well? Is yeah, there's huge yeah, amounts of fear and trepidation. And, and again, if we're deadly honest, even though I think we're bestowed with a huge amount of data on that, we're doing nothing. With it. Yeah. All right. So a quick, quick example. The the largest employer, not by uh, organization, but by role right now in the U.S., is truck driver. You cannot go to a Future of Work conference without talking about autonomous vehicles. Yes. Right? There's some already out there. They exist. And so you're like, cool. Who Who is looking at the fact that autonomous vehicles are going to displace hundreds of thousands of truck drivers? Because they're not going to become UX designers no. in, in Silicon Valley. They're not going to become awesome uh, podcast presenters for Seek, yeah. right? The, the, so what are they going to do? And so the the, the stats that show job creation, they hide the, the displacement. Yeah. They hide the fact that it's not equal. There's no equality in that. And so who owns that? Is it organisations? Is it people? Is it the community? Is it society? Is it the government? Like we've not yet decided who owns it. But the argue argument about who owns it is stopping us from acting upon it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yep.
1: Uh, and if you look a couple of weeks ago, Jeff Bezos, I think, put nine hundred million dollars aside at Amazon. To retrain Amazon workers that will be displaced by automation
0: where are we and let's just look in Australia to start with in terms of reskilling our existing workforce for <laughs> jobs of the future and you travel internationally a lot are, yeah. are we well behind the eight ball are, are we kicking this football around having a bit of discussion or where are we at I
1: can be honest we're yes. amongst friends yeah we can um, Australia has been home to me for 15 years and I love this place Yep. But we are so complacent, it's ridiculous. And the reason we're complacent is our export basket for the last ever is digging stuff out the ground. Like, we are convinced that we'll be digging stuff out the ground for years to come, and everything will be fine. And, and, and the fact that we've not had a recession and a bad time means we like, well, everything seems to work, so we'll just carry on doing the same thing, right? And, and you only need a, a Royal Commission equivalent for the mining sector, right, or just the reality of how the mining sector is changing right now for us to go, ah... Oh, that stuff we dig out of the ground is now lower value, mm-hmm. and, and therefore, what should we be investing in? in? In Vietnam, in year four, every single student does coding as their second language. Right? And we're allegedly the developed nation. And so we can carry on arguing about STEM versus arts and the reality that it's actually the two together, STEAM, right, STEM and the sciences and the art together, that creates genius. We can argue about that all we like, but every other country in the world acting on it and so I think we just need to have an acceptance that now is the time because we're in a buoyant time now is the time to invest in the future not when stuff starts to go wrong and, and there's too many barriers in the way for how we understand investments in technology and people and future ways of working.
0: When you're overseas and looking at other markets, that, that cross-section between education and business and actually making sure that, and to use your example about the coding in, yeah. in, in year four, is that another area in Australia we really need to concentrate on and making sure that we are setting students up for the jobs of the future?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you, if you look at the uh, the World Economic Forum and release their data all the time on, on yeah. jobs and skills of the future, yeah. and, and it's weird because each time I look at it i chuckle and then cry right because it's the two together you're like oh that's funny oh no it's not funny it's yeah. really sad yeah because we're investing in the stuff in decline and it's a multi-layered problem we um we had an example recently probably a couple of years ago a whole lot of graduates that were applying for jobs at last year would eventually decline mm-hmm. and we're a little bit confused and so we talked to a few and we realized that the barrier was the parents so we invited the parents in for a wine and cheese night and they're like oh this is like an actual workplace. Like, <laughs> you actually do stuff and you're actually growing and, and little Johnny or Mary will have a job and they'll be working with other people. And like, this is pretty cool. And you're like, what do you think we did? Yeah. And, and, and what was happening was there's a whole lot of parents out there going, Hamish, when you grow up, you should really be an accountant. Yeah. Because you'll have a job for that. In fact, no, you should be an architect. Yeah. No, you should be a doctor. You should be a lawyer because everyone respects lawyers. If you look at the profession most likely impacted by AI, law, number one. And there's still parents, and I don't, I don't think it's bad intent. Mm. We're just relying on knowledge from a past generation or generation before, yeah. and we're paying that down, but it's no longer applicable.
0: And you're kind of case in point, because you started as an accountant, didn't I, you? And I, yeah. still,
1: I, I still pay my dues each year to remain a chartered accountant, right. just so I can legitimately
0: tell that story. <laughs> I'm a terrible one. I was never good at it. That was Don Price, head of R&D at Atlassian. For more Talent Talks episodes, subscribe or follow Seek Talent Talks in your favourite podcast app.